It's the first Monday of the month, and we are hosting our monthly Q&A show responding to your questions. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 248. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show will give you access to the best thinkers, resources, and actions to help you develop your leadership skills. And I'm glad you've tuned in for our monthly Q&A show, the first Monday of every month. And if you have questions you'd like to have considered for this monthly episode, you can submit them at coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. It's our ongoing commitment to continually bring dialogue into the podcast with our listeners. And speaking of dialogue, my very favorite person in the world to talk to is who's here, Bonnie Stahoviak. Hello. Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me back. I'm glad to have you back. And I was mentioning to you earlier that I uh, we have a member in our mastermind community who just started listening to your podcast as well, which is Teaching in Higher Ed. For those who don't know, it's a podcast to help professors in university settings become better teachers, but also there's a lot of great lessons for all of us who want to learn to teach and coach more effectively. And she started listening to your podcast. She's a business executive and said she just wanted, she loved the segments that you're on every month and wanted some of your genius to rub off on her more. So I thought that was really sweet. Oh, those are kind words. And I am always thrilled to get into uh, our conversations every month and hear what people are thinking about and asking about. And so let's jump right into our first question this month. The question is from Marcelo. He writes, I am from Brazil, and I would like to let you know that since January, I've been listening to your podcast, and I think it's fantastic. Thank you, Marcelo. Even though I've had great experiences in leadership, your podcasts have been changing my perspective. Don't you think that instead of considering someone as a leader, we should recognize people who have good human relations? Because of this skill, people start to follow you. But on the other hand, you're still learning, and you also follow someone else. Well, thank you for the question, Marcelo. And I don't think, for me at least, I don't think about leadership and human relations as mutually exclusive. And so I'm not sure if you intended that with your question or not, but I see those things as things that good leaders hold together and at the same time of both being effective in leadership as in being able to lead and influence others. And also a big part of that, I think, for a leader is great human relations. And I would go as far to say that the best leaders also have learned to be really good followers in many areas of their work and then their lives of um, of being able to play both of those roles well where it's appropriate. And I, I'm thinking back to a situation I had a number of years ago where I had um, I, someone who I was working with in a training class who was just, it, it just struck me as someone who was really gifted at listening well, uh, being mentored well, learning, taking action on things. And I, she just struck me as someone, Bonnie, who was so just such a good, uh, what we would call in higher education learner. But but uh, I, I was thinking about it from a standpoint of following. I was like, oh, that's a really great thing that in, in order to develop as a leader, she's becoming, she's really focused on being a really good follower. And I mentioned that to her at some point, And she took offense to it, that I had used the word follower to describe 
her. I didn't phrase it very well, and I, I felt badly afterwards because I didn't I didn't intend it to be I intended it to be a positive thing. But I was thinking about that in the context of your question, Marcelo, because I think that there's the assumption or the belief that we always need to be leading or we need to show confidence in every situation. And I think that good leaders are as much willing to to listen, to be curious, to take the back seat in the right situations in order to influence well within their organization. Uh, the other thing I'll, I'll say about this is I was thinking back to a very classic leadership model called Blake and Moulton, the Blake and Moulton managerial grid. And the way that they look at leadership is this dynamic between concern for people and concern for tasks and getting things done. And they argue in this model that a good leader is able to do both. It's not an either or. And most of us tend to tend to prefer one side. We either tend to be a little more concerned with tasks and results and getting things done, or we tend to be a little bit more concerned for focusing on people. And I think that the the best leaders are able to recognize which one they do more naturally well and learn how to become more effective at the other area. And I think most people I know, Bonnie, seem to err on one side. Although you are really good at both. You're one of those people that's just really, you've always struck me as really balanced on both results and also relationships. Thank you. You're welcome. Anything to add that, that I didn't mention here? Oh, I have many things to add that you didn't mention. <laughs> <laughs> I if I mentioned you would. You are so right, Dave, that leadership is one of those terms that can mean so many different things to so many different people. In fact, if you just narrow it down to me, I have so many different ways that different lenses that even I could just put on the word leadership. So I think Marcelo, you're right to be starting to break down what does leadership mean to you? To me, what would distinguish leadership from perhaps followership is the idea of having influence. But of course, our followers should really be influencing us as well. There's this great story that Robert Greenleaf tells in his story in his book, Servant Leadership, where he chronicles this this journey that a group of people took on. It's a mythology type of thing, but a group of people took this journey together. And there was this individual who was carrying all the, I was going to say luggage, but it takes place <laughs> another time. They didn't have luggage back then, especially not luggage with wheels. Whew, what a saver of the back. I still remember when I started traveling for business. No wheels on the luggage. It is hard to imagine a time without and, wheels. Oh, on I actually broke the blood vessels in the side of my neck, shoulder kind of thing. And we're out in, in it was either Thailand or Malaysia. And I ended up having to like get, go and get a massage there because I had really wrecked. And I, I mean, just carrying that through airport after airport. That was a little bit of a tangent. But it turned out at the end of this journey, the person who was carrying all of their bags and taking care of the animal pack animals and all that stuff turned out to actually have been the leader the whole while. And nobody really knew that. Uh And just this idea of how followers can look in our preconceived notions and leaders can look in our preconceived notions. And I know many people, this is might sound a little bit like a tangent, but many people talk about in marriage that 
there has to be a leader. And in some religious traditions, the idea is that the man is supposed to be the head of the household and the man is the leader and he makes the decisions. And I mean, maybe the woman could make decisions about what to cook, but you know, anything substantial, especially having to do with finances or big decisions like that should be made by the man. And in case you can't tell from the inflection in my voice, I am being quite sarcastic as in this is not what Dave and I subscribe to in our marriage. But a lot of times people think when you're dealing with a group, there has to be someone in charge. And I don't believe there has to be a leader in charge. I think if you as a group come together and set goals and have values and have a mission, you understand the reason and purpose behind why you exist as a group, you can do tremendous things and there doesn't have to be someone who is in charge. One of the things that I'm referring to here begins to cross over into the area of what Hofstede calls power distance. And Hofstede is a researcher who's been around for decades publishing in the area of cultural differences. And one of the cultural differences has to do with power distance. And Hofstede's power distance index measures the extent to which the less powerful members of organizations and institutions, like families, for example, accept and expect that power is distributed unequally. This represents inequality, more versus less, but is a way that we can analyze how different cultures view power. And one of the things that always cracks me up is sometimes we can start to see that our ego has come into something. And I always joke, like, sometimes I'll be like, don't you know who I am in my head? I don't ever say this out loud, but like in my head, sometimes in my teaching that I'll come out where there will be something that a student might do that I would consider disrespectful. And whereas I used to get really offended and kind of have my ego bruised a little bit, now I just recognize that we probably have some cultural differences. They would have grown up in a family where maybe it was okay to be texting on a cell phone or something in the middle of a conversation. That's kind of something that might come up. And now I just see it as instead of ascribing some sort of malicious intent on the part of this young person, that they just have a different cultural experience than I do. And that if I really think about it, I might take on a leadership role and attempt to influence them to say that maybe that's not going to help them achieve the goals they want to achieve. I teach in a, a business program, by the way. And so in the business world, that might not always be looked on as favorably. And I've had many managers talk to me about how do they deal with the fact that employees are on social media or that not as attentive to their work as they might like them to be. So Marcelo, there's so much more we could say about your question. I just want to thank you for the kind words about the podcast and hope that you'll keep listening and, and feel free to send in questions as you have them. You've got Dave and I thinking a lot about our own definitions of leadership. And Dave, I know we have a next question here from Leah. We do. And even before I read Leah's, I was thinking one other thing, speaking of continuing to listen, next week on the show is John Cotter. And he's going to be talking about the distinction between leadership and management and some of the same things that Marcelo was asking here. So we're going to get into even more depth on that. He's probably the world's leading expert on organizational change. So I'm really Really excited for that conversation too. So so thanks again, Marcella. Let's go on to Leah's question here. Leah wrote in and said, we have two departments which have been merged in November last year. So that's been, let's see, six months now. But the new team is still not working together. They seem to be stuck in their old teams. We've tried team building, changing their seats, and yet they're not integrated. I know it has not been that long since November, but how would you handle this case? Bonnie, what do you think? 
One of the instant questions I would have coming up, and and fortunately, Leah, you're not here to answer it, but just this idea of how the fact that they haven't merged in your definition of what a true merge would look like has affected their work. One of the things when we work closely together with other people, and especially if we're able to have this great experience of synergy and accomplishing goals today together, then it's going to be quite natural for us to just have a camaraderie that might take a little while longer to build with other teams until we might have an experience with them to have a sense of shared goals, a shared vision, and that amazing feeling that happens when we get to persevere through challenges and get to see that goal come to completion. And if your answer to me back was that you just didn't see too many business case detrimental effects to their lack of being what you would consider merged as a team, I would probably leave it alone. You are right. It's a pretty relatively short time. And if the work's getting done and goals are getting accomplished, then that's probably great. I mean, it's probably a good sign that the people were so bonded before. And I would just continue continue doing what it is that you have done. But but I guess one other thing I might say is perhaps asking some questions of people on the various teams of your observations and then have they observed the same thing and do they see any negative effects to not working together in much of a team context? And I would be asking them and, and doing some of this one-on-one would be really helpful and then some of it in more of a group setting so they can hear each other's feedback and get some ideas around that. You also didn't indicate how many people that you're talking about, but one of the things that I've really noticed is that sometimes we call groups of people teams when in fact, they're not really teams. There's such a classic thing to happen at the executive level. We call the executives teams. And in the vast majority of cases, executives don't work as teams. The best case scenario, executives are working, giving each other information that will help them lead their teams better. And if I work in finance, then of course I want to understand from the marketing and sales VP what projections might be showing up in terms of their their working with clients and and what what our revenue projections might be if we just rolled out a new product and we're starting to get some negative feedback on certain aspects of some of the features and of course the research and development department's going to need to know about that I mean there's so that that's more of a working group and in fact Dave I would suggest maybe going back and listening to the episode with Susan Gerke about teams because So funny I was just about to mention that. What yeah. you're what you're thinking about maybe that they're they're too big to be a team. And anything over 5 to 7 people you're really not talking about a team. I I don't mean it's a bad thing. I mean you want people to be working together and you want people to have information and context to do their job well, but they may not be a team in the same sense and if there's these smaller groups that are used to coming together to build and to create and to troubleshoot, then maybe you can kind of take advantage of some of those relationships and just rethink how you are arranging people in terms of this new team slash working group slash people that report to you in some way. Yeah, whatever it's called. So Bonnie and I met in a graduate course on teamwork. And one of the things, the second biggest takeaway I had out of that class, Bonnie, (laughs) is the lesson that when you look at like what real teamwork is, so few 
what are called teams in organizations are really truly teams. More often, they're work groups. And the the real work of teams and the 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 great job of of the teams outperforming what people could do by themselves, of having great expectations, of that real true camaraderie is so rare. And if you ask most people to think back in their careers at a time they really truly were on a team, I, I can only think of one time in my career, Bonnie, that I've really, and it was actually even before my career started, it was a, a job in college I had that I really felt like I was a part of a big team and we all work together really well as a team. So I, I mentioned all of that, Leah, to reinforce what Bonnie has just said, but also there's a big part of like just what your expectations are as far as what a team is. And I would absolutely recommend the episode that Bonnie mentioned with Susan Gerke. Actually, we have three of them that'd be helpful to you. Uh, episode 138 is the different kinds of teams. That's really helpful to just frame what kind of team you want to have emerge. Episode 139 is the stages of team development, which you're in the midst of. Uh, that'd be a, a good thing to review. And then finally, episode 192 is on how to establish good guidelines with teams. And Susan's really a master facilitator at helping organizations to get teams working better together. And she's the guest on all three of those shows. And I think that'd be really helpful to to you as far as how you're framing what's next for your team, or maybe just coming away from those things thinking like, yeah, we're doing pretty good or we're doing okay. Uh, and it's not something to worry about very much. And I, I'd agree with Bonnie, you know, six, like you said, six months isn't a lot of time. Uh, I think it takes a good year in a lot of cases for teams to integrate well or organizations to to go through that kind of a change. So Leah, I hope that this is is helpful to you. And uh, I'll put the link in the notes here, of course, to all the episodes that I've mentioned. And uh, Susan Gerke is actually coming back on the show very soon, Bonnie. So we'll get more of her wisdom again very soon. This next question is from Tony. I have recently had the wonderful experience of listening to your podcast, and now I'm hooked. Hooray! I'm writing to find out what you would recommend as a wonderful organization to join for leadership development. Thank you, and I look forward to hearing from you. Well, thank you, Tony. We're so glad to have you listening. And uh, Bonnie, I'm really curious what would you think about this question too. When I read your question, Tony, one of my first thoughts was what you'd like to learn because leadership development is one of those terms that really can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people and, and even you, depending on context, where you are in your career, what you're trying to learn. And so I would start thinking about this from a standpoint of outcome. So it, when you think about leadership development, Tony, what is it that you want to learn how to do better? Is it that you want to learn how to communicate more effectively? Is it that you want to learn how to give feedback? Is it that you want to learn how to be more effective speakers? Is it that you want to learn business financial acumen more effectively? There's so many different ways you could go with that. And so I would, I would if you haven't already, of just to get clear for yourself or what are two or three things that you'd like to learn this year, maybe in the next two years, that if you got better at would be real value to you in your career now and in the future. And then based on whatever that is, that I think will inform your choices and your direction as far as where you go next. So here's an example of that. When I was starting my career, I I'd had an experience right before I started my first full-time job where I realized, and I wrote an article about this a long time ago, but where I realized I was really not as good as a speaker as I'd like to be. And I knew that public speaking was going to be a skill set that I wanted to at least get reasonably good at for the things I wanted to do in my career. And so when I heard of Toastmasters, 
I joined. And um, and I don't know if Toastmasters would be an organization that generally people would think of first around leadership development, but part of my leadership development was becoming a more effective speaker and presenter. And so when I heard about Toastmasters, I was like, ah, that's great. I, I And I spent several years actively involved as a member of Toastmasters. And then when I achieved my goals, I moved on and did other things. And so I, I think that's a that's a really good place to start, not necessarily Toastmasters specifically, but of just thinking about what's the outcome you want. And then the other thought I'd have is to take an inventory for yourself of who are the kinds of people in your organization and in your industry also who you really respect as leaders and to find out what they're doing for their leadership development. What are the organizations that they're involved with? What are the books that they're reading? Uh, what are the associations where they have memberships? Um, what are the kind of social activities they do professionally? And I think as you go around and you start finding those out and asking questions of people and finding out about their involvement, that will also give you some places to look at as far as possible pass forward on your leadership development. I really like the advice that Dave gave you to think about skills because I do think leadership is probably too broad. And the I don't really have a lot of recommendations around this other than I used to be a member of the Association for Talent Development. It actually was named something else when I used to belong to it. But it had here where we live in Orange County, California, it had a subgroup of their organization that was specifically around the area of organizational development. Organizational development professionals would think about things like how groups of people are working most effectively toward goals and maximizing the potential of each member of a team. There are a lot of functions underneath the area of organizational development that are it's like a whole world in and of itself, but I think it's probably the closest that you could get. But that would only be if you had a really strong chapter wherever it is that you're located. So certainly you'd want to be thinking again about those skills and then also what organizations are strong in your area. Another one I've not been a member of before, but I just know is out there is the American Management Association. Mm -hmm. You might look and see what the chapter is like. And definitely most of these organizations will allow you to go to one of their events for free. They might have monthly breakfasts, monthly lunches, some kind of, whether they're meetups, networking opportunities, or whether they're some kind of a speaker at the organization. And you can find out a lot on their websites too. So you definitely want to check that out. OD Network is another one I've heard good things about over the years. I've never been a member, but I know of a number of people who've been involved and been really impressed with with their work. So that's another option. And and then another option, Tony, is if you're looking for an opportunity, you know, we are running a mastermind in coaching for leaders and we'll have seats open again later on this year or next year. So if you want to find out about that opportunity when it's there, go to you can go to coachingforleaders.com slash mastermind and there's a place to get an advance notice there if that looks appealing to you or if you'd like to know when we have future opportunities coming up as well. So, uh, Mani, let's move on to the next one. And this next question came in by audio from Ranjan. Hi, Dave, Bonnie, and Luke. My name is Ranjan, and I'm based out of Hyderabad, India. I'm a software engineer and a financial major and wanted to thank you for all the effort you put into this podcast. I've been listening offline, uh, downloaded from iTunes to your podcast since the last six months. I cannot tell you how much I've improved. My self-confidence has skyrocketed and my peers acknowledge the valuable tips I share on all leadership topics, which mostly comes from your podcast. So thank you very much. My question is about diversity. There's a lot of focus on diversity these days. However, when leaders talk about diversity in India, they mostly mean gender diversity. I agree gender diversity has immense benefits, 
And I was wondering if you could share some tips and resources on other types of diversity I need to be attentive to while hiring and promoting in my team, like provincial diversity, personality types, domains. Any research results or good books you can share will be very helpful. Again, thank you very much and you have a nice day. Bye. Thank you so much for the kind words about the show. It's wonderful that you've been listening now for six months and hardly ever do I ever have to put have Dave put the recording on pause for me to think he, he kind of revels in the fact that I off the cuff can come up with these answers and your question is made me think so hard that I had to go wait a minute I gotta, I gotta think about this for a minute and I always enjoy that I enjoy the challenging ways that so many of our listeners get us to start thinking about our own leadership practices and yeah and good for him for thinking this too like how can I be better at doing this mm-hmm. just beyond what culturally is expected it's awesome really awesome. You brought up the gender diversity element, and I know that's not the primary focus of your question, but that's something that Dave and I think about all the time. You said hello to Luke in your introduction, but surprise, spoiler alert, we have two children now. We have a boy and we have a girl. And I think regularly about the ways that society will put gender norms on our children already at such a young age. And one of the things I don't like to think as much about, but I do try to, is the ways that we do that as parents. And in our laws here in the United States, when we talk about diversity, of course, the one end of the continuum is diversity. You you can't discriminate against people because of race, ethnicity, in some states, sexual orientation. That is not a federal law, but in it's a state law in many of our states. And because of one's gender and because of one's age. And these are laws and there's two types of discrimination laws that are set up in our country. One is called disparate treatment. And that's the one that we talk about most of the time where we had in our history times where we would say we don't serve this kind of person in our restaurant, for example, no African-Americans in our restaurants, there would actually be the sign out or you could only use drink out of this watering fountain depending on the color of your skin. So we have a, a really devastating history that is not that hard for us to conjure up and think about what disparate treatment looks like when you're treating someone intentionally discriminating against them on the basis of one of what is called the protected classes. Those are the ones I went over before. I didn't mention disability, but that is another one as well. You cannot discriminate against someone on the basis of a, any kind of a disability, including things like visual impairment and the ability to hear. And I mean, but it just goes, there's a very um, extensive list of ways that we should be considering valuing humans dignity in the workplace and people's ability to contribute. The other kinds of laws are the ones that are harder for us to think about and harder for us to confront within ourselves. And that is the disparate impact. I didn't mean to discriminate against a group of people But through my practices or through my policies or through perhaps the kinds of tests that I'm giving people when they apply for a job, I inadvertently wound up discriminating against people. And I think it's really important for us to think about that as leaders, because even if we have a value that says all people are worthy of dignity, that's actually the company Starbucks. That's one of their values. I have a friend who works in their corporate office there, and and I understand they have a really, really neat mural painted 
all along one of their walls that people end up walking by pretty much every day at work. And it has to do with the founder and CEO just about the worth of every human being and the dignity of every human being. And even if we believe that, though, it is crucial that we recognize all of us are capable of not living up to our own ideals and doing something inadvertently. I mean, the classic thing you you might have heard that I teach at a university, and this comes up a lot with teachers where we say, of course, men, of course, women, all, all people should be able to have access to the same quality of learning. But then inadvertently as teachers, we can wind up calling more on the men in our classes than we do on the women. Even if I would tell you, oh no, I totally believe that they're equal. We could do that inadvertently. And I will sometimes have to hold myself back if there's somebody who is from a area of the world that I'm not as familiar with. We certainly as teachers don't want to say, oh, so Dave, you're from fill in the blank. Why don't you tell me what they think about this? <laughs> We're not going to have one person representing that entire country, that entire culture, that kind of thing. And so just being very reflective and thinking critically about our own values, that's where we start. But then trying to dig deeper and see areas where our behaviors might be inconsistent with our values when it comes to this. One area that is, to me, less harder to think about or to to explore is the, you mentioned personalities, the difference between a preference for introversion versus a preference for extroversion. And Dave, you had Susan Cain on the show, and she's the author of the wonderful book called Quiet, The Power of Introversion in a World That Won't Stop Talking. I think I might have slightly missed. Close enough. Yeah. Close enough. (laughs) And just this idea that the business world is more geared toward rewarding extroverts. And the extroverts will tend to be promoted more, listened to more, that kind of thing. When there's just this tremendous value that introverts have to offer, but we have to modify how we behave in meetings to recognize the person who hasn't said anything yet. It's probably not because they don't have anything of value to add. In fact, many times they have the most valuable things to add and we have to leave room and space and opportunity. And another thing for introverts, which we've talked about on the show before, is just this idea of needing more time to reflect on answers and decisions and that kind of thing and not rushing an introvert into to what's right there on top of mind. In fact, I was mentioning that when we record these shows, I just come in the studio and Dave hands me the thing and off we go versus he needs more time to prepare and reflect and think about that. And I've got my bullet points written down of things that, you know, Mm -hmm. I think might be helpful to bring up in the conversation. Yeah. And if I hadn't thought about adapting to someone else's style and preference, then I'm not really able to maximize the great contributions that they can make. And that's just one area. But I I started thinking about all these different, I mean, this could be 10 shows, and then we wouldn't even be done yet talking about. So thank you for this powerful question. I'm interested to hear what Dave thinks. Yeah, well, I was thinking about this in the context of places I lead and influence. And I think probably the place that I have a lot of influence is certainly on this podcast and the show. And I was thinking about your question and thinking about that one way that I try to handle this in just the coaching for leaders sphere of the world is how to bring in very diverse perspectives from guests. And so 
there are people who have been guests on the show who are extremely conservative in their political viewpoints, and there's people who are very liberal in their viewpoints. There, we've had men and women on the show. We've had all, I think, every religion represented at some point, um, not equally, uh, but but certainly. If I, I, I'm very intentional about trying to find different perspectives, sometimes to the point where we'll have a guest come on the show, and four weeks earlier, another guest said something that was in direct contrast to that, and I have always thought that that is a strength to bring different perspectives and to and, and I try to lean into where can I push the envelope a bit to be a little bit more pushing myself on, on thinking about something a different way. And so, Bonnie, one example of that I'll do is if some there's a guest that I hear of or I comes across my radar screen, someone that thinks really differently about something than I do, I tend to want to engage that person more so than not just for to get diversity of thought in the show. That said, speaking of values and execution or actual behavior, because it was the easiest thing to do and I was thinking about gender with his question, I went ahead and looked at the next series of people I have coming up on the show, Bonnie, and there's 13 interviews that are either already recorded for the show or are have been booked, so are going to happen. Of those 13, 10 of them are men. And I was thinking about that. I was like, that's interesting because I really do try to think like I feel like I value having a very diverse perspective. And maybe it's just the way the calendar fell and people, but I was like, oh, that's interesting. I should pay more attention to that because why are there so many more men on the show than there have been, seems like in the past. It'd be interesting to go back and look over the last five years of men and women. I'm not counting you in that number, by the way, but it's anyway, it's just, just something to think of. Not because you're not a woman, but just because you're <laughs> an ongoing, you're not really a guest, you're a... You're I'm part of the show. You're a fixture, a fixture. In, the, in the institution of coaching for leaders. <laughs> the next question is from Guto. Until last year, I used to be at the top of the organization and was always directly linked to directors or owners. Today, I find myself in an intermediate position as the second manager. I'm having a hard time dealing with this because sometimes I feel that my manager does not want to solve the problems and likes to go to others. But people who are neither managers nor knowledgeable are dealing with the situations. Talking to a trusted person, she told me to put aside these elements and to learn to manage. How can I discover the technique to be managed at the same time to have influence within the organization? Guto, I can thank you for the question, and I can relate to it because I've been at a point in my career where I was in an organization where I had a very close relationship with the owner or the person of the business, and I met a you know it was a direct <laughs> it was a direct line to that person and getting their approval or not, depending on anything that came up in the organization, and then having a transition happen where that organization became much larger and was working because of an acquisition and was working in a much broader capacity where all of a sudden. There was a lot more people involved and sometimes people involved who had the experience and sometimes people who didn't have the experience and that's both good and bad. So I guess one thing I would, in thinking about your question, is there's not necessarily a good or bad here. It's just different. It's a different kind of way of of influence in the organization. And I would also say that what you're currently experiencing now is probably more the norm in most organizations, especially today. Even in organizations where there's a single owner and you go to one person, it's far more the case today in my experience and interacting with customers and small business leaders that we're all needing to learn how to influence more effectively. So I say that, Guto, because while I hear the frustration in your question and your email you sent to me, 
and I've been there, so I, I know what that feels like. I would also challenge you to look at this as an opportunity for your own leadership development and how to influence others effectively. And the things you can do within a broader organization that will develop a skill set that will serve you really well throughout the rest of your career. So to that point, I think some things to do tactically is to, um, especially if this has been a recent transition, is to not make any assumptions or at least try not to make assumptions and to spend a lot of time asking questions really getting the lay of the land, understanding how the management team or the group of people that are involved make decisions, what are their preferences, what kind of information do they like to have around making decisions. And then as you as you understand that and as you start to appreciate what's their preference, it's like Dale Carnegie taught us all to do in How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's try honestly to see things from the other person's point of view. You know, we all have our own ways of wanting to do things. And one thing of working in a large organization and being in middle management is it, it often doesn't go the way we want it to happen. And so it's it's learning what, what works within this organization of watching the people who have influence and seem to get things done. What are they doing? What are the practices they have? How are they framing the things they're trying to recommend or exert influence on in the organization? We just had this conversation within the mastermind community of how do you manage up which is part of what your question here too. I think one great practice for all of us anytime we're trying to manage up is to come to the table with solutions too. There's the tendency to come to, and in a situation like this, to come with problems or this isn't working or or here's the complaint about what's not happening. And I think that we really, it's a great leadership development skill for ourselves and also is a great way to model leadership to come to the table with the solution. And it doesn't mean the solution's always going to go, but that we're trying to be very proactive in helping the organization solve problems. And it's been my experience that people who do that and are able to frame their communication and influence that way are able to learn how to navigate in a new environment more quickly and more successfully than if they don't. When we have hierarchical power, things seem easier because we say this needs to get done and often this actually gets done. But where you can really hone your leadership skills is when you have to rely on your own ability to influence and less on your ability to wield power and specifically organizational power. One of the great models around decision-making is that the quality ultimately, the power of a decision is not just the quality of the decision. That's why we can't just go produce some sort of logic that says we should choose this option because this data says it. Because that decision needs to be executed by people. And to the extent that we are engaged, that we are committed to fulfilling that de- that decision, and especially when you're talking about managing in a very complex environment, thinking about not just the quality of the decision, but also the level of commitment, the level of engagement, the level of buy-in from the people who will be executing on that decision is such an important thing and is rarely thought about. And we can become a little bit lazy as leaders if what we want to see happen, we think of it as just waving this magic wand and it's going to happen. And in actuality, what you're doing is you are not able to use the real rich qualities that each person has to contribute to your organization. Because when you are leading from that vantage point, then people just wind up doing it because you said so. 
And then if it doesn't work out, I guess it didn't work out. I didn't think we should do it anyway. <laughs> and that can really be uh, troubling as a leader. So I just, I applaud you for really just being able to identify and be self-aware enough to recognize how challenging this is. And I have been there as well. I have certainly worked at a very high level in an organization and I have worked as a peon. And <laughs> there are certainly challenges and opportunities that each of those positions in terms of organizational power fits. And just thank you so much for the question and getting Dave and I to think about this. Thank you so much to Bonnie, as always, and three resources for you before I let you go this week. First of all, if you're looking for the details of all the books, past episodes, resources we mentioned on today's show, go over to coachingforleaders.com slash 248. That is where everything is posted, all the details, including the questions. Or if you already received the Wednesday Weekly Leadership Guide, that will come in your inbox on Wednesday with the links to all of that. Secondly, if today's conversation has inspired or got you thinking about a question that you'd like to throw our way for a future episode, we'd love to consider it. Uh, go over to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. That is the best way to get your question to us, either in writing or by audio, and we'd certainly uh, enjoy hearing it and considering it for one of our future Q&A episodes on the first Monday of every month. And then third and finally, I mentioned in today's episode that John Cotter is going to be on the show next week. He is the author of one of the books that's on my top 10 reads for leaders, uh, the top 10 leadership books that will help you get better results from others. And that is the book Leading Change. In fact, one of our mastermind members just read that book and, and mentioned that it was one of the most helpful books he's ever read on how to manage organizational change. And if that is something you are navigating right now in your organization, I highly recommend that book. And Cotter's going to be on next week talking about his new book, but so many things that come from his previous work that you'll hear elements of in our conversation next week. And if you have not already checked out that guide from me, the 10 leadership books that will help you to get better results from others, the best way to get that is to go over to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. And you're going to get two things when you go over there. One of them is you are going to get the 11-page reader's guide and the nine-minute video of all of my book recommendations on what those reads are and why I think they'll be supportive of your ongoing leadership development. You will also get each week uh, my weekly leadership guide that comes on Wednesdays. It always includes the show notes for every episode and the links, as well as a number of other resources that I found in my reading and research online during the week that will continue your leadership development between the shows. And uh, if you will start this year, if you haven't already, to read at least one of those books, whether it's Cotter's book or it's Dale Carnegie's book on how to win friends and influence people, uh, any of those books will be helpful to you in your leadership development. If you want to get started, go over to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. That's the best way to do it. I look forward to talking with you again next Monday with Dr. Dr. John Cotter, and I'll look forward to uh, our next conversation. Take care.